Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with me. My name is EJ, and I got my man, MH. Yes, he's the DB of the show, and we are Black in Sports, giving a voice to the culture that won't shut up and dribble. Here, talking about the topics in and around the game, interviewing the best professionals, and uh, we're covering it all, laughing all, and providing a platform to be heard. So without further ado, man, we jump right into it, and we want to welcome our guest, all right? So he is a Morehouse man, member of the Alpha Alpha, and he's an Emmy-nominated media and entertainment professional with over 20 years of experience, all right? So some of the companies you may have heard, right, some Fox Sports, uh, maybe the NFL Network you heard of, right? But uh, he's uh, done some great projects for working with the, the Super Bowl, Pro Bowl. Um, he's done the Senior Bowl. So just a lot of stuff. So we'll get into that as well. But now he's the senior at ESPN. He's a senior director of media, talent, and recruitment and contract negotiations. Please, let's let's clap it up for Marcus Smith. What's up, gentlemen? Glad to be on with you guys. Appreciate it. I like it, man. So, hey, man, how we start the shows, man, we, we got to jump in with a shoot-your-shot moment, man. We, we need to know uh, what your makeup, what your DNA is, right? So a time that you shot your shot and you went for it all, you could have, you know, fumbled the ball or you could have won the bag, man. So give us, you know, a moment or a story or a time where you shot your shot. And it could have been in, you know, the sports arena back in your old playing days. It could be now in your work. Or it could be with, the, you know, how the missus came, became Mrs. Smith. But uh, give us a shoot-your-shot <laughs> moment. Well, I appreciate that. Um, that's a that's a great question to start with. Uh, I believe for me, when I think about it, my shoot your shot moment probably is when I decided I remember I was graduating from college and uh, I wanted I knew I wanted to come to the West Coast. And so everything, you know, the media business at the time wasn't what it is now, um, where you can really literally live anywhere and do work from any place. Uh, but back in the day, it was really New York and L.A. were one and two in the market. And so I just knew I wanted to get out of the cold weather. Uh, <laughs> I was tired of winters. I was tired of rain. Uh, I was tired of seasons, let's be honest. So uh, I bet it on myself. I, I never forget uh, being in a class and everybody's talking about, well, what's the next move for everybody? I said, well, I'm going to the West Coast and I'm going to figure it out. So uh, that was my shoot to shot moment. I, I, I packed up my car, shipped it, you know, got went in debt trying to do it, um, you know, transferred with my hourly job just to, to, to live my dream, quite honestly. And so uh, when I look back on it, that's just a major part of my journey. There it is. So, pack, that, that pack of your car, man, that's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm betting on me. I'm, I'm going to make this happen. I love Absolutely. that. So where, where's your love for sports start? Uh, it really starts at home. I mean, literally since birth, literally since birth. I was uh, I was born on a Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, it was the Cowboys, I believe, the, versus the uh, Steelers. Oh, Don't look yeah, up the year. Know. That'll tell yeah. you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I literally was born on a Super Bowl Sunday and my, my father was a high school football coach uh, and an administrator. Um, so he instilled sports in us at a very early age, my brother and I. Um, and so it literally come, it comes from home. Um, it's a passion of mine and I'm very fortunate enough to, to make my passion, uh, my business. I love it. So it was, uh, you, you mentioned Super Bowl Sunday. So that, is that what a, a quick transfer over to football is that the the first love or is there some other sports that uh, you picture yeah no football is definitely my first love there's there's no question about that um the, the game has meant so much to me 
personally, I wasn't a great player <laughs> by any <laughs> means. Um, but, you know, like I said, it starts with my, my father, uh, who was a college football player. Uh, he played in Miami of Ohio. Um, and then, you know, I get, like I said, he transitioned into administration and, and uh, being a high school football coach. And so I saw it from a very early age. Um, I was one of his ball boys, you know, and so having that time, you know, I know is unique, especially when you're talking about black men and spending time with their fathers. You know, that was my that was my uh, growing up, was spending time with my dad at practices and going to games. So, um, you know, it's had a huge impact on my life. No question about it. So me and inmates always talk about this. So your story wouldn't have made it during the draft because every time we watch the draft, it's, you know, um, Isaiah barely made it out. You know, his crackhead mom and his grandmama had to raise him out of, you know, so that, that coming from a, a having a father and a mother and a stable background doesn't really always make it on the draft. But I guess, you know, that's a part of the media. Um, no, I mean, I think it happens for some people. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because it's definitely been, you know, talked about. But uh-huh. I think that, you know, look, everyone has a story. You know, that's the beautiful thing about working in media is that I don't, I don't care where anybody comes from, quite honestly, right. but everyone's got a journey and a story to tell. And so really unpacking that is something that um, I've had a, the fortune to do and help people tell their stories. And again, it's it's the, the process of where you end up is just as important as where you end up. I agree with that. So I've heard they play football in Ohio. I've heard from from on this show with EJ Absolutely. and from other. Absolutely, <laughs> I've heard they play high school football there. So tell me a little bit about the high school scene in Ohio where you grew up, and you know how it is still now. Absolutely, you know everybody wants to give credit to to Texas, obviously with their massive cathedrals and stadiums, sitting <laughs> sixty thousand people for a high school game. Uh, you know, you look at places like California where I live now where high school football is huge and the 707 scene is large. And and so, I, you know, look, I, I, I am from the birthplace of football, you know, Ohio, but Ohio's where it started for everybody. So, you know, let's pay homage to, to where it began. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's no question about it. The Ohio versus Pennsylvania rivalries. I can go, you know, on and on about some of the great Big matches players have played against the league. So. Yeah, you know, listen, I'll go toe to toe with anybody any day talking about football. But again, you asked, <laughs> let me back up a little bit because you asked about my, my passion of sports. So, football has been a passion, but I actually I was a wrestler in high school, um, which okay. is kind of interesting, you know. What so, was the weight class? I'm not going to talk about it now because, you know, that was, that was a different time in my life. You know, I've matured. I'm a man. I'm a father. Uh, so, uh, you know, we don't need to get into that. Let's just know, just know that I, you know, I stepped on the mat, tied, laced up those shoes, and we got busy. There it is. <laughs> Oh, that's 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 funny. That's great. So, what position did you play or attempt to play? Yeah, so I was on the defensive side, no question. DB. Uh, they tried to put me. I remember vividly. They tried to put me a running back. Uh, I remember. Look, I just knew that, that football was not going to be in my future on the field. You know, so okay. I said, let me work in it off the field, and I found a way to do that. But when I did play it on the field, it was on the defensive backfield. Uh, again, they tried to put me a running back. I remember one practice very vividly. Of you know, we went to saw the depth chart, right? You know, you're in a spring ball in high school, and, right? And, like, I had some guys that were some dominant athletes that I got a fortune enough to play with. And so, I remember one time peeking through the window to look at the depth chart, and the coach spots me, he takes and proceeds to move my name up the depth chart uh, to the number one spot for practice. And I'm I had this look at this deer in the headlights look on my face, like what is this going on? But hey, let's get with it. I'm look, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it all I got, you know, right. we'll see what happens. But uh I just knew that that wasn't gonna be my future on the field. Let's just say that. 
So, I mean, I, I think it's cool. I mean, my, my dad, he wasn't a coach, but he was in sports pretty early from a youth program perspective and sure. uh, kind of running that in the military. Um, and so I saw a lot of, I guess, the word politics I'm looking for is like, you know, from sports mm-hmm. uh, pretty early in life. So like yourself, man, you, you probably saw your dad as not only your father, but I'm sure he may have been a father to, to someone to see, maybe a big brother, maybe a guidance counselor at some point. A lot, he wore a lot of different hats, I'm, I'm sure, as a high school football coach. So what did you learn from those days growing up that even still used to now in your t- in career and even into you, growing up your own kids? Yeah, you know what? That's an interesting question because uh, the one thing, the biggest lesson my dad, I would say, taught me in terms of coaching um, was that, look, you can't treat all individuals the same, right? And so, look, some people are going to have better skills than others, but it's about how you communicate and work with the athletes that you have. And so as I transitioned, you know, I remember as I made the move to California, I was looking for a job, trying to put things together. Uh, I'd use my wrestling background to get an assistant wrestling coach job. And so, uh, when I was doing that, again, all those lessons my dad taught me were, were coming to fruition because now I'm dealing with kids, one, who don't look like me because I was in a, a neighborhood that wasn't my neighborhood. Let's call it that. Right. And so I had to learn to how to communicate with these athletes. I remember vividly one kid telling me, Coach, I don't think you like me very much because you always, you know, you're always on top of me. And I said, I said, clearly you don't know me well enough then because I, I care deeply about you and I just want you to be successful. And so once I heard that from him, I knew I had to recalibrate on how I communicated to him in terms of his performance. Right. So uh, and then fast forward years later, years later, it's mostly the spring season. Uh, As I mentioned, I'm a father and my my oldest is uh, uh, playing softball. And so somehow I got became her uh, head coach of her softball team this past season, had no softball experience. And those who watch this will probably call me out because. They played with me in the past. So, but, but it was, I said, look, I might not be good on the field, like I said before, but I know how to motivate folks. So, um, so taking those lessons and, and teaching and pouring into people, that's a passion of mine too, right? And it kind of carries over into my day to day of my career. But dealing with young athletes is really just trying to help them live out their dreams, right? We want them to be successful. And so it's about using the skill sets they have, meeting them where they are. I think that's the biggest thing, because I think oftentimes coaches think, oh, man, we got to hit a home run out the gate. And it's really not like that. OK, let me show me what you have. Let right. me figure out how to work with it to get us to our ultimate goal. I love it. All right. So transition. How do we choose? How do you become a Morehouse man? Let's talk about that, that process. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, was it was it? Just give us like the track. Right. Like, you know, sports wasn't a, a, a way that you were going. You know, so how did how did it ultimately become more housing than HBCU? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, look, I could spend all night talking about my Morehouse experience and how I got there. But, um, you know, look, Morehouse, quite simply, it was the only school I applied to. Um, And then when I tell you that, let me get you have to put that in context. I wasn't the best student in high school. Right. Um, But my resume looked good. Student council football team, wrestling team. I know how to put a resume together, right? <laughs> and so uh, my father, who, again, coached high school athletes at a high level um, it, it, back in Cincinnati where I grew up, he also knew, like, look, if kids weren't going to have the opportunity to go play maybe D1, some of them would burn up their eligibility going to JUCO or something like that. Right. But he also knew that there was another pathway, and that's called prep school. And so for right. me, I had two choices. I remember – distinctly. And my father was prepared to send me to Fork Union Military Academy uh, for prep school for a year because he didn't think I was ready to go to college and be mostly from a maturity standpoint. 
Um, but I went, and I never forget the summer before my senior year, we took two trips. Uh, we went to Virginia where Fort Union Military Academy is. And if those who know it, uh, who listen to your podcast, it's like going to the middle of nowhere in Virginia. You're literally driving across a rickety bridge with the water underneath. You think the bridge is going to fall apart. And then you literally come across a bridge into this campus. And it's like this, this, it's almost like a mirage, so to speak. Like if you've been out in the desert and you're like, wow, okay, here's the campus. And so the history there and for individuals, especially athletes who, again, didn't want to burn their eligibility, they went to prep school and it allowed them to get their grades together academically, retake their test scores, et cetera. But you had this military regiment that you went through from uniforms to, to you know, marching and all these other things. So I never forget uh, going there. We actually showed up late uh, and I was like, cool. That means we're not going to be able to take this tour. My dad, <laughs> my dad did not take no for an answer. He went and found the headmaster of the school and they gave us a private tour. And I tell you, by the end of that tour, I was like, there is no chance I want to come here. And my saving grace, saving grace was my mother, because my mother was like, I do not want him to go here. And my father was like, oh, he going to go here if I send him here. So we took that trip. Then we pivoted and went to to Atlanta, uh, to Morehouse. And I just immediately fell in love. Um, The way I found out about Morehouse is also an interesting story. Um, there was a documentary called The Morehouse Men. It was on PBS. And so growing up, my family would go out to Sunday dinners and we come home. My mom would say, hey, go eat good because so it was cold at home. So we come home and the first thing I do is turn on the TV. Like TV's literally been my life and my career. And so this is how God works. You know, I turn on the TV and boom, there's this documentary called The Morehouse Men. I was hooked. And literally I was like, at the end, I was like, dad, I want to go there. And my dad has always kept it real with me. He always keeps it up 100. He said, son, you don't have the grades to go there. Not not that school. And so I said, okay, there's the challenge. And so, again, fast forward, we go take the visit. I fell in love with it. I was like, this is the place I know I need to be. We met with the admissions director, and that man grilled me, Andre Patillo. And sports fans will know Andre Patillo because Andre Patillo used to be an NCAA referee. And why is he famous? He's famous for throwing Rick Patino out of a game. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Look it up. It's, it's a fact. And so he said, we sat in his office. He said, why should I let you in my school? I said, I said, only here can I grow and be become the man that I know I want to be. And so oh, he said, he said I'm going to give you an opportunity to prove that. And so he made me come to the summer program. I had to take three classes after my senior high school to prove myself. Uh, so I went through that experience, came out on the other side and got my acceptance letter in the Morehouse. And so when I got it, I tried to play a joke on my dad because at the time the mail service wasn't really running great. And so I, I intercepted the letter, right? Here's a football term. I intercepted the letter before my dad got home. I opened it, and I knew I had gotten in. So he walks right. in, and I'm going, Dad, I didn't get in. And, and I hand him the letter. And that's the first time I heard my dad cuss at me. <laughs> this kid to me. Like, what are we going to do now? And so I hand him the letter. And he reads it. He goes, that ain't funny. <laughs> so he goes, now we got to figure out how we're going to get you there. So that, that's my story of how I got there and got into school. Man, that's fantastic, man. That is and, fantastic. Uh, go ahead, Mitch. No, no, I, I love it. I, I feel like there's uh, a lot of things that you touched on there, but it's that, uh, I guess that motivating moment. We, we talked about shooting your shot, but I guess that's a moment where you kind of pivot in your brain like, hey, this is what I want. Um, do you think you would have got to that moment I guess without some of the the lessons that you learned from your dad on the football, I'm a I'm a huge football fan, so I sure. I take a lot of things of life Absolutely. onto the football field. Absolutely. Do you think that's something that you kind of can grab from the football field and then use like this is my moment to make this play, so to speak? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, look, the buzzwords that are out now are pivot, intersection, right? Those are the buzzwords yeah. that we talk about. And right. so for me back then, I didn't call them those moments. Were they motivating moments? Sure, those that's your turn. Uh, but there, 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 I, I, there are moments in your life that happen, right? And so as a man of faith, I believe, look, God orchestrates all things. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was like, okay, here's this moment. How are you going to handle the moment? You know, when I deal with people in my day to day, you know, a lot of people who want to be on TV, they come to me and show me. I said, look, you got to be able to meet the moment when it comes. And so for me, that was that opportunity, right, to meet the moment when it came. And so, again, getting into that environment, because then once you get into the environment, it's how you let the environment go. Like we had a tournament in Morehouse. You can either go through Morehouse or Morehouse can go through you. And so for to have that experience of it going through me, you know, holistically, right, that experience of Atlanta, the AUC, all of it football, sports, all of it, that's what birthed me into where I, the trajectory I went on. I love it. Mm-hmm. And then fraternity-wise, man, well, sure. why, why, was that, why was that the choice uh, fraternity for you? <laughs> look, it's the only choice. I mean, I don't, you know. Listen, I mean, truthfully, 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 truthfully. Wait, are we Greek? Who's Greek? Who's Greek? We're not. My, my, mm-hmm. I always got to ask. My dad's a Greek. So. His dad, yeah, Pops, yeah, yeah. is. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So the true story, my dad was was pledging Q. Uh, that was his experience. I'm, he's not a Q. I'll just leave it at that. Um, growing up, uh, my older cousin, who's like an older brother to me, truthfully, um, his his my uncle is an alpha. And so I remember growing up, he had this paddle on his wall, but I didn't know what the letters meant. And so my cousin, you talk about the HUZ experience. So I have to really start with my older cousin who ended up going to Hampton. And so that mm-hmm. kind of sent the rest of us on the trajectory of going to HBCUs, all, all my cousins and my, my younger brother. So Hampton, my younger brother went to Howard. Uh, my other cousin went to FAM. We had another cousin went to Bennett. So we've we've experienced a lot of the HBCUs in my family. Uh-huh. But my cousin was pledging at Hampton. And so I didn't really know what that meant, right, until I, you know, we had some conversations. And so the Greeks weren't on the yard at the time at Morehouse. And, you know, I know a shame in my story. So when they did come back, you know, it just didn't work out for me when I was an undergrad. So I ended up doing it in grad chapter once I graduated. Love it. Love it. Man, we could go into the whole, we should just have a HBCU summit, man. Have one of the lives and just bring everybody on and have them just talk about the experience. Because I think it's it's needed. And that's what we, we definitely like to highlight that when we have uh, guests such as yourself on the show. Um, you know, just to open people's mind. I mean, we are, I like to coin it as the HBCU renaissance that we're going through right now. Um, sure. You know, in sports and just, you know, the culture. So, you know, thank you for sharing, sharing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before you transition, I will tell you, I think all of us should have the HBCU experience. I never forget Andre Bertillo, who I mentioned, he mm-hmm. said every black man should have the Morehouse experience. There's no other place for you to go. And so, wow. that you know, again, I was already sold. He had to sell that to me. But as you go through those experiences and all of us who, regardless of where you went, we all have shared the similar struggles of going through HBCUs and that experience in itself. But again, how it builds you up and and sets you on a path and a trajectory to go out into the world, knowing that, look, I, I have earned my space here, right? It's not about what I deserve, but I've earned my space here. And and I, I can do what the job entails me to do. The HBCU experience did that for me. Let's go. That's what's up. All right, so I like your media background. So you said before I transition into the, <laughs> as you know, it was about to go. But um, yep, I want to transition into the game, man. I want to talk to talk um, or have you share with our audience um, what your title is, right? So your title is the Senior Director of Media Talent 
recruitment and contract negotiations. So that's a long ass title. So hopefully they pay <laughs> you for that title as long as it is. And if they are, man, let me hold something. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> listen, I'm on, I'm on your podcast. Let me hold something. This come this way. <laughs> but no, explain what the day in the life is, what, what that kind of role is, sure. because, you know, um, every job, like even though you can just maybe boil it down to talent, um, every job's requirements different, right? Like the contract negotiation part may not be sure. with someone else's title. So kind of take us what you do and how that looks at ESPN. Yeah, so um, I'm new to ESPN. Um, recently started back there in May, um, and so my my title by definition often gets confused with an HR title. So even on LinkedIn, I'm getting hit up by recruiters and and ZipRecruiter and all these other places saying, "Hey, let's help you find recruits better." I'm like, "No, no, no. I, I focus on on air talent. I'm looking for individuals who want to be in front of the camera." And not just reporters, but writers, uh, analysts, you know, hosts. It's a it's a variety of different positions that we look for. So uh, that is my day to day in terms of the recruitment piece is that I'm actively always kind of looking and keeping my my finger on the pulse of what's happening in media and where people are going. And, and even the own talent we have here, it's fostering those talents that we already have internally. Um, so I look, I take a lot of pride in that too, and getting to know the talent that we have, mm-hmm. because ultimately what you hire someone to do is not where they may individually ultimately end up is what I'm saying in terms of, look, everyone's got a passion, right? So you hire me to do X, but I also have a passion for Z. And so how can I help integrate that into the productions that we have? And again, it's really been an internal agent for that talent that we have already on staff. And again, looking outward in terms of who's in the marketplace and who we might want to, to bring to our platforms. It's interesting. Um, you know, one of the first things as far as ESPN that I feel like I grew up on was NFL prime time. I used to love every Sunday, Chris Berman, Tom Jackson was on. I used to like watching the games. Tom Jackson, Cincinnati native, write that down. Yes, sir. sir. (laughs) Seeing all, see, just reliving the games through their, through their voices. Now I feel like, you know, since then sports media has changed a lot, right. Into where, a Tom Jackson was to me was one of a kind former player. I didn't even know he was a former player at the time. And my dad yep. educated me like, Hey, no linebacker, mm-hmm. uh, different Broncos. Now that you see it a lot of different places, yep. uh, how do you, I guess, identify that talent when it comes from maybe an ex player or um, that's trying to, I guess, get to their second part of their career. Yeah. I have to go all the way back to my experience at, at the NFL media group. Um, I started there in the the very beginning of the network. I I think I started around year two after it launched. And so we were a very small group there. And so it allowed me to grow in a lot of different areas. Right. I was hired to do uh, mainly work on the news assignment desk, gathering news and and bring in stories that we're going to report on on each of uh, our shows that day. Uh, The primary show being NFL Total Access at the time. Um, And so from there, again, here's that that pivot moment, that intersection moment where, you know, we didn't have a large staff. And so we there was a segment created called Word on the Street. And so we would go out and and tap into the local markets, whether it be Vegas or um, Atlanta or Denver, you know, these local markets where teams already existed. And we would have the local reporters from these stations come on and you know, give us a daily report. Tell us what's going on in your market, right? I couldn't pay you anything, but hey, I'll send you a mic flag and could you do a stand-up for us? And so that gave me the the I guess the 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 launch into understanding how it was to work with talent and what that really meant. Um and then when you shift to the to the the analyst part of it, the former players, you ask what do I see? Look, there I can't put a finger on I can't explain it 
in terms of what I what I I just know it when I see it. And so it's it's a spark, it's a word, it's a it's a nonverbal communication the athlete gives, and I can go, you know what? Okay, this person's got something I can work with, right? And so if if I have that, then we can take the next step. Okay, one, are you comfortable in front of the camera, right? In terms of being able to speak, you know, there's a difference between uh, I love this phrase being interviewed. And, and then delivering the news like someone told I, and I'm borrowing that from somebody else. And so, that, you know, most athletes, oh, I, I play for I can come right back off and talk about it. That's not how it works. Right. You have to work. at it. This side of it is a job. You know, right. it, it, you have to work at your craft. You know, one person I'll point out is Nate Burleson. Um, and so I had the privilege of working with Nate. And, and to tell that whole story, it was another colleague of mine who was an intern with the Vikings, knew Nate. Nate wanted to get into TV and Nate called this individual and say, Hey, I'm being LA. I'd love to come on. And so right. I met Nate through my former colleague. And so that was Nate's do- foot in the door at NFL network to begin with. Some things changed. I'll just leave it at that. Nate stayed in contact with me. And so Nate would call me every offseason. Hey, I want to come in and get some reps. And so I tell guys who have a desire to do this, whether it be NBA, NFL, whatever, mm-hmm. you have to work on this just like you worked on your game whether you were tackling somebody or taking a jump shot or hitting a baseball, this requires work. Don't, don't shun the small things. Like you have to start somewhere and begin to build yourself into this media personality that you think you ultimately want to become. Now, and they're working like now there are programs for them, right? Like, I don't know if it's the NFL PA that's doing that program to where it's like, you know, not only for broadcasting, it's for other business, but they're just really looking to help transition people. Yeah, it's a, it's an entire business. I mean, it's yes, the PA, is, the associations for the individual sports do have their own broadcast in camps, as they call them, or media okay. camps. Uh-huh. The NFL holds one. I, I tend to the one for the NBA that was out here uh, recently in L.A. I'm sure the NHL has one. I, I would assume the MLB has one, too. So look, people are understanding, look, you're going to have to replenish the, the roster at some point, right? And you right. want people that are fresh off the field that share that connectivity with the people that are on the field, right? You mentioned Tom Jackson. Tom Jackson is a legend, right? right. A legend. And when I first met him, I didn't even know he was from Cincinnati. I never forget I was at a Reds game, and there goes Tom Jackson just walking through the corridor. I'm like, wait, you on ESPN, right? And so, you know, it was that, you know, again, deer, deer in the headlights, eyes wide open. I didn't know nothing about the business at the time. But to see that person who's a legend, right? Ultimately, you have to prepare for when that person's not going to be there. And again, you want people that are relatable to the people that you're covering, because ultimately it's like that's why you see like a Randy Moss on, you know, ESPN or, you know, Nate Burleson, who's made a huge transition from not just sports to now doing news. Right. Because he has that relatability and that connectivity with people. So um, you that, that that's part of that process. And part of my day to day, quite honestly, is looking at how do we build the benches in terms of who's coming up, who might be ready to retire, who do we have an eye on, who we might want to groom. Uh, you know, it's a myriad of different things that we look at in those factors. You touched on something, man, and and, and let me know if I'm out of bounds with this question. Sure. But um, how much of this – I shouldn't say this, but I'll say how much of those that are on our talent sometimes are just that. They're, they have, a, I guess, a character on air, and that's not really them off yeah. camera, or how is it – is it all kind of true to them all the time? I'm not I didn't hear what you said. So, EJ, I, you know, repeat that. I didn't hear what you said. Uh, it makes no sense. Exactly I, I do know. I'm, I'm not going to put no gonna names out there. Out. I'm not going to say anybody's name or anything yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. But what I will say to that, that question, that's a very good question. 
when I'm evaluating talent, I have my my own recipe call of what I'm looking for. And I'm not going to share that here, but I know what I'm looking for. And so I will. one of the things I will say is like you, you want to be your authentic self. Right. You want to be you don't want to be a character of yourself where you as soon as the lights come on. Hey, I'm duh, duh, duh. no, that's not it. Right. You want to be who you are. Right. And that's what people are going to gravitate to. Right. Again, you talk about for, from the former player space specifically. And, and I can touch on the host and reporter things, too. But you're already part of a fan base that will ultimately follow you wherever you're going because you played for a team. Right. So where whatever city you played in, as long as you were good to that city, you had a good reputation in the community, all that those fans are going to follow you wherever you go. You know, they're going to be tapped in. Right. That's why they're called legends. Uh, Even hosts or uh, reporters. Same thing. People build up a following. If you have credibility telling your stories and how you deliver the news and and all those things, and it resonates with a group of people. That's why we have all these platforms. I don't even call it social media anymore. I just call it media. You build followers. So now everybody's like, okay, how many followers do I have? Now bring that audience with you to whatever organization you're going to next, right? Because they're gonna they they trust you as a value voice for whatever subject or team you're covering. So you said that because it seems like there are people that play characters um when they're doing certain shows. And I mean, is obviously there's a place for it, right? Because they're getting paid to do it. Um like how, is that depending on the platform? I don't want to say the platform. I want to say I, the, I, I think, and again, that, that makes yeah, sense. I'm going to cut you off because I, I think I know where you're going with that okay. in terms of, I don't know what individual you're talking about. I honestly don't know no, that. No, Nor no do I want to hear that person's list. name. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> there's a few. Not, I don't think they're being a character themselves because this is what I tell athletes. Anything. This is what I tell people who want to be in the media. Okay. Whatever platform you're going, like someone calls you and say, EJ, hey, we want you to be on. Uh, inside the NBA, or we want you to be on Access Hollywood, right? Whatever it is. I'm just mm-hmm. throwing out some random stuff. When you come on, be off, understand that platform that you're going on and what they're asking you to do. Just like when you say, hey, can you come on our podcast? Okay, so tell me about the podcast. What are we doing? You know, what's the dress like? You know, is it, you said beverages? What? What? Tell me everything I need to know because today's individual is way smarter than the ones years ago it's not just to show up and like let me turn on the camera and do it because we're so excited to be in front of the camera no give me some background on what the expectations are so that i can answer the bell to what you're looking for and not and again does it authentic authentically fit into who i am as that individual because i tell people if it doesn't fit you don't do it you know i've had guys come on at various places i've worked at and i've said look you weren't ready to come to me right now nor should you should have said you should have said no and not be afraid that this was going to be your only opportunity because some people fear like it's going to be my only chance to get on let me go on and do whatever they want to do so i can you know get this get opportunity next, right that's not how you know you shouldn't look at it like that you know it should be a reset of what fits what i want to ultimately be you know when you look at yourself as the media personality does this fit where i see my career going let's go that's interesting, and, and, and I guess even piggybacking on fit, you've worked at NFL Network, Fox Sports, now ESPN. Uh, I think they own they are their own way that they own seat at the table, um, so to speak. Right? What have you picked up from each one of those networks that you've brought to the other, or what is what's the competition there? What you can kind of give, you know, what I'm saying like. What's what's the differences between them, and what's the similarities? I guess between them all. I think I think it's 
it's very obvious what they are, you know. Right. NFL Network is a league-owned network, you know, and they do great content for the sport of football. They're going to tell the sport of football's story and its history, right? And that is a great thing. And again, someone who loves football, that was a blessing to be a part of an organization like that because I'm living and breathing what I love to do every single day. Fox Sports, format has changed many times over the years, right? Yeah. And so for them, whatever that format is now is because they're one, they want to separate themselves from the next person. And again, ESPN has been the pinnacle, right? It is what ultimately we've all gone to. I grew up watching Stuart Scott. You know, I thought I wanted to be Stuart Scott growing up. There was a black man on TV who looked like me, who's an alpha. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I want to do that, right? But again, there was a it was an intersection of pivot. Somebody else came in life and said, hey, you might want to look at doing this, but you can still be in the business, right? So again, every platform is different. And I don't need to point it out. You can obviously see what the differences are. So is there um, a point where it's saturation, right? Like, and not just the two examples. One example I'll do is like Steve Harvey, right? The, the boy's on everything. The boy got a talk show, game show, radio show, you know, so when you're talking about platforms and like you said, not social media, just media. And then like even like DC, uh, not DC, but um, uh, RC, uh, Ryan Clark, right? So he's on ESPN and he has two podcasts, right? We've used Pivot as a, a juncture to explain, you know, changes, but he has a Pivot podcast. So is there a a burnout or oversaturation or is it just if you can be authentic in all those lanes, you rock with it? Because Absolutely. I, I, think it's, I think it's that. I think if you're gotcha. authentically you, and there is a desire to have you because again it's the organization saying hey we want you right you know, we want you to fill this role and so if you can do that authentically and people still receive it in a way that okay i love the example of steve harvey i can go in my car and listen to him on the radio i can turn it on with my family and watch family feud i can watch a talk show and him give him something else deeper than that i can go to these platforms on my on my phone and get inspirational quotes all day so, so sign me up. I want <laughs> right here. Yeah, absolutely. So it's that. I don't think it, you know, saturation. Look, I don't could there be sure, but that in those instances, no, because I think it's it's about the platforms that want those individuals to be a part of what they're doing. Oh, and Steve Harvey, well, he has a line. I could call my mom in the morning, she listen to Steve Harvey, and I call absolutely. at night, she laughing at Steve. I'm like, yo, listen, listen, he can make you, bread, he can make you think. <laughs> And he can dress you. So, I mean, come on. No, is, he, is he a judge now, too? Give me the blueprint. Absolutely. <laughs> Love it. You got a, got a, a judge show right now. <laughs> um, we talked about in the opening, you've worked some amazing events, right? So, um, sure. we just recently had the NFL draft here in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, what was your role? What drafts did you work on? And, like, how have you seen it evolve? So, let's start with, like, kind of what drafts you worked on. And then kind of how you've seen it evolve and, and becoming just the, the the show it is. Yeah, most of my draft experience comes from when I, my days at the NFL media group. Um, gotcha. And so uh, I posted um, after the I was there for the one in Vegas for the first time. That's actually the first one I've attended in person. Oh, uh, so okay. my role with the draft was, interesting enough, to cover the individuals who decided not to attend the draft in person. And so I was the guy setting up cameras or organizing the camera. Hey, calling X and saying, hey, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, who's a good one? 
All right, I'm not going to start naming names, but there's been several great ones where I said, okay, you're not coming. Miles Garrett, hey, you're not coming. Um, okay, we like to send a camera. How do I like? So let's talk to the agent. Is, is the agent the right person to talk to? Okay, it's uh-huh. not that person, it's somebody else. Okay, so I got to talk to X. Then I got to find out that somebody actually don't want us to be there. Okay, so how do I navigate around that? Right. So um, that was my role. And again, it's about telling us because again, the consumers, right? The the fans of football want to still see this individual celebrated, regardless of they decide. But again, kudos to the individual. They want to spend it with the people who they have grown up with, who have yeah. poured into them to get to this moment. Mm-hmm. And so you can't fault them for that. All right, let's send the camera to them, right? And so oh, that's hey. become more common now, right? Uh, in the draft in, in, in these last several years. And so right. that was my role to do that. So I've always had my hand in it from that perspective. Uh, and again, this is my first time attending just uh, literally just to attend and, and, and meet some people uh, to see it up close. So what the NFL has done with the draft is is a beautiful thing. Um, they've made it an experience, not only experience for the individuals, but for the fans, because, again, fans want to celebrate their teams. Right. And to see and welcome in that new person who's going to be a part of your organization, who you're going to buy their jersey and root for them. Do you uh, think Joe, there's? Go ahead, go oh, ahead. Right. Like, my bad. Well, bro. Joe Thomas is one that came. He was uh when he went fishing. Uh, I, was, I remember it absolutely. Remember I, think I, had, I think I had the, I had the camera on the dock waiting for him to come back. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big one, but yeah, you're right. It's definitely been that evolution where that's all a part of the story. Go ahead, Amanda. absolutely. Yeah, with the draft growing the way it is, and even the combine. Uh, now there's you know parts where fans are actually in the building. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Hey, you, you've seen it from both worlds. Do you think there's, a, I guess, a fine line that's being crossed where, hey, this used to be something that was in private and is not in private no more? Do you think there's a line being crossed or you think it's all relative? I don't think it's – I think it's the evolution. It's not crossing the line. It's just we're evolving, right? The, mm-hmm. the organ, Again, the NFL is evolving, you know, about sure. allowing people to come in. And what's different about today's athletes, they've had a camera – in their face, whether it be a phone camera or an actual camera, since they were seven, uh, eight, facts. maybe even younger, facts. right? Because they can run faster, jump higher than anybody else on the field. So they have been used to this. Not only people putting cameras in them face, but them actually doing it themselves with their own phones, right? So they're used to all of this. And so to, to, to now insert the fans into it, and I, I think I was at the NFL when they first did that. Uh, again, they're not cheering and you're being boastful while it's happening, they know it's a, it's an audition, right? And so that's an intense moment to the combine, quite frankly. You know, to see these guys are prepared for this moment and, you know, that 40-yard dash, that's a real thing, you know, to, to see their excitement and and disappointment when they haven't performed. Uh, it, you know, it, there's no better television, no better content, I would say, because really that's what it is. It's content. I love it. MH, you ready to hit him with the quick hits? Yeah, so, so Marcus, this is a couple of kind of – Quick hit things that come to your mind just so our listeners kind of get a, a better understanding of who you are. So uh, who is your hero? You have a hero. Who would you call your hero? My father. No question. Uh, a biggest fear that you may have. Feel, feel, biggest fear. That's not a quick hit. Um, <laughs> that's bad. not a quick hit. The fear. That's a great question. Um, there's a lot of things I think about. That, you know, look, being a good father, you know, support my family, you know, you know, being successful in my job. You know, I, I want to be, you know, I guess the fear of failure maybe is probably what comes to mind. A favorite uh, book. Ah, uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. 
Um, there's a <laughs> this is gonna be fun. Uh, getting, I think the time I'm gonna butcher the title. Uh, getting to yes, I think is the name of it. Don't I can't remember the author. I literally have the book sitting at my office on my desk. My old one of my old bosses gave me the book and said, "Hey, you need to read this." And so. It, you know, it just talks about, you know, it's almost like the art of negotiation, right? In terms of, you know, look, you're going to ask buyers for something. Also, they might say no, but how do we get to a yes, right? So, okay. Loving basketball or the wood? <sighs> Loving basketball. Mm. <laughs> top five Cincinnati Bengals. I see the I see the thing in the background. So, who, who's your top five? Uh, TJ Husmanzada, Chad Johnson. I'm going to go old school James Brooks, running back. Uh-huh. Carl Pickens, because he ain't take no mess. <laughs> uh, what is that, four? That's four. <sighs> Here's one. Solomon Wilcox. There you Solomon go. Wilcox. Boomer, does Boomer Sirsi get close to it, or he he? Look, Boomer, I love Boomer. I mean, he got us to a Super Bowl. No, I, There's no hate for Boomer. But these <laughs> people I picked, I've had an end. Actually, I'm gonna put a. I'm gonna. You said five, but I'm gonna go five B. Um, a man by the name of Jim Anderson, who was the running backs coach for the Bengals. He was the longest tenured uh, assistant coach in the NFL at the time. Um, who the and why I've listed these men? They've all had a personal impact on my life directly. Oh, that's dope. So I'll, I'm gonna ask you a little bit about the Hall of Fame going forward, about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Sure. But if you were to have a Hall of Fame of of journalists for you. Mm. And you would say you want to bring in, <laughs> let's bring in a class of, of five to six of who would those Hall yeah, of Fame? That's tough, be? man. I see. I need some time to think about that. That's a great <laughs> question because the reason why it's a great question because of what I get to do. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with some unbelievable, just good people, and they were great. Mm-hmm. You know, great storytellers too. And so mm-hmm. to to to, sh- to to shrink that down into a, a Hall of Fame. I'm green. Class of 2022. No, see, I'm like, this is where I got. This is where I got to borrow Dion's quote recently. Like, look, I, I'm putting a whole bunch of people in the room. Like, it ain't gonna be special because I'm just putting a whole bunch of people in. Because, look, there's various reasons why I like them all. So, um, I, I can start naming names, bro. But again, that's gonna run me down a rabbit hole that. <laughs> Understood. We'll never get out of it. Okay, and my last one. If, if, first time, if ever, that you've been starstruck. Well, that's a good question. Um, Eddie Levert. Hmm. <laughs> That's how old I am. So I'll tell you, this is a funny story. So like, I don't really get starstruck, right? Because yeah, yeah. of what we get to, what I get to do for a living. You know, they, they, are, they are people just like us. You know, and again, they appreciate people that talk to them real and for aren't sure. like, oh my god, what do you need? You know, hey, can I? You know, they most athletes that I've dealt with aren't on that level watch out man. but but eddie levert <laughs> i was a kid too so that's why i gotta say i was starstruck it was the circle city classic indianapolis oh. indiana yes, i'm crossing the street with a group of young like it was a group of us walking and here's eddie levert and like people like i just see people kind of stopping cars in the street and he's walking across and i'm like all i could say was you what's the name's daddy that's all i could say because i could not remember it was eddie levert like it blew my mind i'm like <laughs> So that was probably the first time I was like, oh, my God, that's that's like that's him. So, yeah, <laughs> random name. But, yeah, that was the first time. I like it. <laughs> so, all right. So I got two quick ones. Um, 
What you just uh, proclaims uh, sneakerhead? What's the all-time um, favorite shoe? Uh, Bread Force, no question. Best best oh, silhouette man. ever. Best shoe Jordan ever. Nice. I like Bread that. Force. Okay. And then my last one: uh, Sam's Club or Costco? Sam's Club. Come on. <laughs> I don't even know where you got that from. That's a great question. Somebody we know must have told you that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we just do some research here on yeah, this show, yeah, man. Absolutely. And, Listen, and if it, you want a running see- joke. <laughs> one joke about me going to Sam's Club, absolutely. So, what is your affinity for Sam's Club, man? Hey, man, I like to buy in bulk. I can get everything I need, and I'll have to go back three or four. Hey, folks was laughing during the pandemic. At, you know, before the pandemic, they was laughing at me. Hey, who came to my house during the pandemic? We need help. We pulled baby. Marcus, uh, surpl- uh, you had a surplus store up in the. I ain't say I have a surplus store. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I give away the family. You know, but I was, we was good. I love it. I love it. All right, man. So we want to get into the winner's circle, man. This is where we just talk about some things and just some topics. I think uh, one I want to start off with, and, and I'm sure we'll get into just great background that you have, man. So thank you for, for sharing. Appreciate, with it. You. appreciate but it. Coaching, you know, um, would you, I mean, you kind of all got into coaching right now, but your dad being a coach, what is your thoughts about that? You know, like, even though you were kind of thrust into it this year, is it something that you want to continue to be a part Absolutely. of? I mean, I don't, I don't think you ever stop coaching. Um, and my my dad warned me. He said, "Hey, once you go down this hole, man, it's you know it's hard to get out of because you get attached to the kids and it's tough." And so I said, "No, I get it, but I want to do it." And you know, I think for me, you know, let's, I just say this: the silver lining in the pandemic for me was the time I got back with family. Right, being there, not commuting in the car, and my 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 kids are getting older, and so spending that time. And so to see my my oldest, as I mentioned earlier, play softball for the first time, and so then I'm like. Oh, okay. There was an opportunity to coach. And that's, you know, I was thinking about going back to coaching wrestling, right. In my local neighborhood, but this opportunity popped up. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I get a chance again, do what I do well, which is motivate young people. Um, and look, just, let's just have fun out there. So I think I will always be a coach in some capacity. Matter of fact, I'm a coach in my day to day anyway, when I'm dealing with talent, because you, especially when you're dealing with individuals who want feedback, you know, and it's delivering that information. And, may, and again, it's working in tandem with your producers, not really just going off the cuff. But there's certain things that you see that are consistent, right, that you just offer that feedback to them. And so I will always deem myself or feel like I am a coach in some capacity. All right. So then that gets me to my next question. How does someone get into your line of work, right? Like, what are the steps for, for you know, listeners out there like, yo, you know, what he's doing seems amazing. Like, how do I kind of get involved and get a part of that? Yeah, there is no blueprint. That's the honest answer. Uh, I think for for me, it worked out this way in terms of just connectivity and networking, honestly. I mean, that's what the business is. You know, what I tell people that work uh, in in any facet of the business, right, is that networking is everything. You know, I think if, if I learned anything from my college experience is how to network, you know, and how to hustle, right? Because, again, it's all part of that process. Like, hey, don't take that professor. You trying to graduate? Don't do that. That's not the one you want to take, right? So don't take that class. Right. Don't take that class. You, you know you can't get up at 8 a.m. Do not take that class, right? And I'm just, <laughs> I keep going back to my dad. Hey, you should have an 8 a.m. class. Get yourself up and ready. I was like, that was the worst semester I had in school. And I'll never <laughs> do that. Again. I just know myself. Like that, you know, know yourself. That's the other thing. So um, so yeah, I think that it's it's all about networking ultimately. Um, and and through that. You know, you'll find, again, the the trajectory or the path you go down. You know, I was just a very fortunate to have people come into my life at different moments. And so that's that's key. Right. But the other key is the, the ability to listen to them. 
because oftentimes we get caught up in ourselves of I want to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm, I can, I want to do this, I want to do it this way. You're not listening. Like somebody's trying to help guide you, right? So I think you know uh, mentorship is huge, right? And so um, I, I could I could really go on hour on mentorship because I've had some great mentors in my life um, that have helped me guide me through my career path, um, and and I believe in mentorship for for all individuals, but especially for people of color, you need that. You need somebody that's going to be above you that can help guide you and tell you, but you ultimately have to listen. You know, you listen and decipher what they're saying. You know, the uh, uh, media, I guess social media in a sense, has made the world a little smaller. So I kind of getting back to, you know, um, when you made the transition, you say you wanted to be on the West Coast. You have to pack up your, your, your bags and your car and get there. Um, I guess talk to our kind of our younger listeners about, hey, experiencing something in person and being there is a lot different from experiencing it from, you know, uh, you know, through your phone. Uh, what is that 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 process like for somebody to kind of take the leap out on faith and and really make those transitions across the countries and everything? Sure. I mean, often you have to have faith. You know, that's where it begins. Uh, you have to have faith that it's going to work itself out. Uh, you know, again, I, I, I grew up in a, a faith based house. You know, my, my we went to church. <laughs> you know, I, I'm the I'm the cousin out of my cousins. I probably not be saying this, but I feel guilty when I don't make it to church on Sunday, right? I, I'm a heathen. Like, I ain't Lord. I ain't paid my tithes. I, you know, I feel, I do feel, I feel bad. I'm not saying I'm, and I'm not perfect by any means. Let me just make it very clear. But I would tell any individual, try to bet on yourself. You know, one, one piece of advice I give to people, especially those who want to be in my business in front of the camera is that continue to pursue your dream until you can't do it anymore. You know, as long as you only have to take care of you. You don't have a bunch of responsibilities, you know, bills, things like that. You got to have a roof over your head. Continue down that path that gives you the opportunity to be in front of the camera. Because oftentimes people say, oh, I just need a job. I want to work. Huh. I got that. We all want to work. But mm -hmm. being on camera, there are so many people want, who want to do what you want to do. And there's only so many seats available to do it. Ultimately, it might not work out that you're going to work for me. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't still go down that path and be successful. You know, one of the greatest stories or compliments I got was from uh, a brother by the name of Curtis Conway, former uh, NFL player. Yeah. And I would bring him in and he was doing a bunch of like, you know, just work for us, you know, basically free and wasn't getting the opportunity to get one of those spots. And so you know, I said, I said, Curtis, look, don't let this justify you. You know, if you want to be on air, go be on air, like go get the experience. Years later, I never forget at a Super Bowl in New Orleans. Randomly, Randall Curtis. Like it was one of those things, turn around, boom, there he was. He's like, hey man, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate what you said to me. And I said, What did I say? He said, You said just you said just go do it. And so things started to work out for him in that area, right? And so, you know, I, I don't have a blueprint. I, you know, I'm not the 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 career whisperer, so to speak, but you know, I will try to encourage you, you know, as much as I can to again, don't give up on your dream. My my favorite quote. And I know I'm kind of long-winded here, but one of my favorite quotes is from the movie Up in the Air with George Clooney. And he says, because this movie, if you know it, it's about him going in to basically lay people off, right? Which is like crazy. And in one of the scenes, he tells the individual, he said, how much did they pay you to give up on your dream? Huh. I never forgot that. And I've used that often. Anybody who knows me, I say, how much do they pay you to get off your dream? Yeah, you want to be on air, but you're doing PA work. That don't add up. That don't make sense. So you need to be in front of the camera. 
So that's what I would tell the young people. So you hit us with the, that's how we kind of wrap the show up. <laughs> you know, we asked for that kind of uh, that coaching or that, uh, that coaching gym or the assist. So, um, I mean, but that, that's a foundational piece, man. Is there anything that you would tell your younger self? Um, keep going, you know, look, but in here, there's a lot of quotes that I remember. One of my favorite ones, I kind of alluded to this, I paraphrased it earlier and I saw this in church too. It says the journey is just as important as the destiny. So how you get there is just as important as, as where you end up. Absolutely. And so I would tell my younger self through all the frustration and the late nights and, and not knowing uh, if you're going to get the job or you see people around you getting elevated before you who are younger than you and don't look like you, all of that. That part. Just keep going. But just keep going because your time will come. And but when your time comes, as I said earlier, are you ready to meet the moment when it arrives? Because that's the biggest thing. You, I can hand you, I can hand you EJ the moment. I can hand MH. I can hand you the moment. But are you ready for it? Right? Are you ready for it when, when the, when the, when the pouring out comes? Are you That's ready to receive it? And the doors of the church are open. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, with that, man, it's been a pleasure. MH, final thoughts. No, nah, man, it, it's funny. I, I laugh at it, but uh, I feel like we have, we all kind of have, you know, being being a black man in the in America have some some sort of kind of similar backgrounds, man. And my dad used to always tell me, uh, you know, everybody turns uh, 35 at the same time. And it is essentially yeah. say, hey, you run your own race, man. Like, don't yeah. don't look at somebody else. We we all turn 35 at the same time. So, Absolutely. man, you, you, you've hit home on a lot of things, man. Just but honor talking to you, man. Thank you for spending some of your time with us, man. It, it, it's been a, a complete honor to us. And, and uh, I know our listeners got a lot out of it. No, I appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on with you. Uh, really excited about where you guys are going and look forward to seeing what you do down the road. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for that, man. And I also want to thank Brian Smith for uh, connecting us, man. Uh, Smith. appreciate that, B. Smith. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I want to thank our guests again. Mar man, Marcus, thank you again for, for making the time. I know you're a busy guy, um, you know, especially working in the media. And like you said, uh, you know, raising a family, being the father to your daughters, man. So thank you for the time. Uh, listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed the show, man. We drop a new show every Thursday. Please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel because visual representation matters, you know. So if you can see it, you can be it. Uh, know that we're uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. So make sure you hit that subscribe like button. And remember, stay safe, practice gratitude, and know we're rooting for you. Screaming, all us blacks got a sports and entertainment until we even. Assuming you're rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. Yo, yo, look, look, shoot me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black, spat about two racks on handmade new rags, shoot me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black, that's everybody from sports to college class to rap and back.